Hey, this is Spencer Dorsey from Discount Cemetery, and you're tuned in to the I Want to Party with Bob Bobcast. Welcome to episode 104 of the I Want to Party with Bob Bobcast. This is the continuation of the UFO Stories series of episodes. This episode is brought to you by those cool creeps at Discount Cemetery, your one-stop shop for the marvelously morbid and out-of-this-world clothing type of items. Welcome! Yeah, welcome to the weirdness and wildness of UFO sightings and encounters. This time around, we've got five stories of UFO sightings or encounters by the people who witnessed and experienced these strange lights in the sky. All these stories in this episode, they're all sightings. We don't have any shadow people, no one losing any time, possible abduction stories or anything like that. All of these stories are basically seeing something strange in the sky. There is a special segment in this episode, though, my friend Spencer from Discount Cemetery. Discount, how convenient. The sponsor of the episode is on the episode. I think it's actually really rad. Spencer dropped by to talk to us, and he has a very condensed history of UFOs and kind of UFO alien activity, that type of thing. Plus, Spencer is going to regale us with some of his own personal UFO sighting or encounter type of stories. Really good stuff. Make sure you stay tuned. The music in this episode, as always, follows right along with the theme of the episode. Yes, every song has something to do with UFOs or aliens in some way. And we've got songs by Teenage Bottle Rocket and Creepazoid in this episode. Creepazoid returns with another song. This time, it's a cover of the misfit song Teenagers from Mars. And that's how I was introduced to Creepazoid, who very sadly are not a band anymore, I should mention, too. And it's too bad. I love Creepazoid. They're really, really a great band. The songs are going to weave kind of in and out of the UFO stories. And I'll let you know which song you're going to hear right before I do play those songs. I am getting a little thirsty right now talking about what's going to happen in this episode. So I think it's time for the... Beer of the Episode. The beer of this extraterrestrial episode is the Monkey Mind Pong by, well, you guessed it, Plan 9 Alehouse. I picked this beer because, A, it's delicious. I've already had one. Actually, I've already had two, not tonight, but, you know, prior to this recording. And also, B, because there's a picture of a monkey in a spacesuit on the label of this beer. It's very fitting for the episode, just like the songs. You know, this is all a package. Everything comes together so nicely. A lot of kind of serendipity. If, is that is that the right word? I think that's the right word. A lot of serendipity with these Bobcast episodes. Monkey Mind Pong, by the way, refers to a company which is called Neuralink. Okay, yeah, it's owned by fucking Elon Musk. God, fuck it. I hate Elon Musk. Do you know that? I fucking despise that dude. I really do. He's right up there with uh, Mike Rowe. And yeah, you just take your pick at any right wing figure in the news over the last like 50 years. And yeah, he's up there. Yeah, I don't like him. Well, regardless, Neuralink, which is owned by Elon Musk, 
made a machine that they hooked up to a macaque, right? A primate, like a monkey type of animal. That machine allowed this macaque to play the video game Pong with its mind, telepathically. And no shit, it's real. This is a real thing. Just go to YouTube and use the term monkey mind Pong to search. It fucking comes right up showing this fucking macaque playing Pong with its brain. Only. That's the craziest shit I've ever heard. It's alien level shit. So here we are. Yeah, here we are. This Monkey Mind Pong, Monkey Mind Pong the Beer, is a clean, crisp, and classic American pale ale. It weighs in at 6.3% alcohol by volume. Let's try this beer and see if maybe I can play like Space Invaders using the power of my mind. Here we go. It's good. And you know, I had this thought today. It really is too bad that Plan 9 doesn't have their beer in 7-Elevens and stores everywhere. Because goddamn, this is a, it's a good beer. It's up there with any type of like craft beer or smaller brewery type of beer that you can buy in a supermarket or a convenience store or whatever. This beer is so good. I'm going to go out on a limb and say Plan 9's beer is better than any beer I've ever had. It really is. Yes, I am biased towards Plan 9 because it's a rad company run by rad people and mostly because they make incredible beer. God, it is really good. It's very smooth. It is very crisp. It has a tiny bite. Not like a bad bite in any way. It's not bitter at all. Very delicious, classic pale ale. That being said, you too can fire up your warp drive Head straight to Plan 9 Ale House and grab this beer and many other fine beers. Plan 9 Ale House's address is 155 East Grand Avenue in downtown Escondido, California. You can reach Plan 9 Ale House by phone at 760-489-8817 or visit them on the web at www.plan9alehouse.com. Plan 9 Ale House, beer to the people and beer to the aliens and UFOs. Well, the good ones, not the lizard people, just the good aliens and UFOs or, or ultra terrestrials, whatever they are. Well, here we go. Let's hear a few words from our good fiends at Discount Cemetery. Then we'll get straight to the UFO stories. Stay tuned. What the? What is that thing? Greetings, human. Take us to your leader. Who or what? The president? The pope? What kind of leader are you looking for? No puny earthling. We seek the leading makers of body coverings on this pathetic planet's discount cemetery. We have probed the universe for the fearsomely finest clothing, and our calculations have led us here. We desire several items from discount cemetery, such as the Phoenix Lights Long Sleeve Tee, the Groundskeeper Jersey, the Roswell 47 Pocket Tee, and the Evil Dead-inspired Groovy Raglan. Entity Cold! Cease the mutilations at once. We are here for Discount Cemetery Garments, not further bovine probings. Well, I can tell you that if you go to www.discountcemetery.com, 
You can browse the entire collection of Discount Cemetery t-shirts, raglans, outerwear, the Bravely Femme line, accessories, and more. Also, if you use the code PARTYWITHBOB at checkout, you'll save 20% off your entire order. On top of all that information, I will tell you this, orders over $100 on www.discountcemetery.com will receive free shipping in the United States. Thank you, human. You've been most helpful. Now, please look at this red light for a moment. That's right, you don't need to be from another planet or even another dimension to get out of this world deals on the greatest goods in the galaxy from Discount Cemetery. Just go to www.discountcemetery.com where you can browse the entire collection of ghoulishly groovy clothing and accessories. Always remember to use the code PARTYWITHBOB at checkout for 20% off your entire order, plus Orders over $100 qualify for free shipping in the United States. So don't delay. Go to www.discountcemetery.com today before these deals disappear into the night. Thank you, Discount Cemetery. Don't forget, when you go to www.discountcemetery.com and you order some of their fiendishly fabulous clothing, use code PARTYWITHBOB at checkout for 20% off of your entire order. Out of this world deals, I'm telling you, that's what Discount Cemetery is all about. Up first in our series of UFO stories is a tale told to us by a past Bobcast contributor, Jen. Uh, Jen was in the very first Ghost Stories episode back in August of 2020. Jen has a couple of stories. One's about kind of a triangular-shaped object in the sky, very mysterious. And the other is about some kind of void, or maybe it's a stargate. I don't know. Let's see what Jen has to say. It's very, very strange. Here's Jen. So the first story was in Spokane, Washington, up on one of the hills overlooking the downtown and the valley area. That would have been in the summer of 89. So we're all sitting up there just drinking some cheap beer, and I think uh, Boone's Farm, Strawberry Hill was involved, uh, like every good story. So we're looking out over the night sky and just talking and hanging out, and uh, these three lights that were kind of triangle-shaped came out of nowhere and just hovered on the horizon across the valley so on the other hill on the north the south side of yeah south side of Spokane so they were just there and then they zipped across the entire horizon to the left uh, and then zipped back across the horizon to the right and then straight up out of view uh, they were completely in sync. They were super, super bright. They outshined anything else. It was crazy. And we all just kind of looked at each other. Someone said, did you see that? And we we're like, yes, we saw that. And yeah, so um, I recently spoke to one of my friends who was there. And she still remembers it the exact same way that I do. So that's the first story. The second story happened 2019 in the summer, August in Smith's River, 
California, on the California-Oregon border on the coast. It was late, probably one, two in the morning. Um, my disclaimer here is that we had taken mushrooms, but we weren't like super, super high. It was a, it was a pretty low dose, um, just enough to see better in the dark. So there were tons of lights. We could see the International Space Station on the far right horizon up in the sky. Um, and we could tell that because it was moving around a little bit. On the left-hand side near the water and sky horizon, there was this big black void, again, triangle-shaped. Big, because you could see all the stars. So it was just this void of light. So we would see these red lights go across the horizon from right to left, again, at the water skyline, then kind of congregate around this black void and then disappear. It looked like it was going into it or being eaten up by it or something. Dude, this happened for at least two hours, maybe three hours. We watched the whole time. It was crazy and awesome but we were both seeing it. We both kept asking each other, what are you seeing? And we were seeing the exact same thing. It was awesome. Thank you, Jen, for your contribution to this episode. Now pay attention to the triangle-shaped UFO thing. That's gonna be a little bit of a theme in this episode. Really pay attention to that little fact. What the fuck was that void thing that she saw? Like a wormhole? Like a hyperspace gate? The Millennium Falcon's gonna come blasting out of it and you know, blow up Death Star 2. Uh, wow. Well, speaking of wow, up next is Pleasant Gaiman, who is also a returning guest to the Bobcast. Pleasant was one of the spinners of tales in that very same, very first Ghost Stories episode, just like Jen. Talking about themes with triangle-shaped UFOs, one thing I wanted to point out, people who have encountered paranormal phenomena, such as ghosts, also seem to have had UFO encounters in a lot of cases, in many cases. It's not much of a stretch, in my mind, to say that UFOs and like ghostly paranormal-type phenomena could very well be related, read John Keel's stuff, read up on what he said about it. He's much better at explaining it than I am. And that shit will blow your fucking mind, for sure. It's also possible that the UFO and ghost correlation and people that have experienced both types of phenomena, it could completely be a coincidence as well. Maybe those people are just a little bit more open to certain things. I don't know. But it is very strange, and it does bear thinking about, I believe. Well, Here's Pleasant with two stories of UFO sightings. One of those stories is from her youth in New York State, and the other story is from a Burning Man back in 1999. Pleasant stories will be followed immediately by the song Alien Motion Technology by the band Teenage Bottle Rocket. Please stay tuned. Hi, this is Pleasant Gaiman. And one of my most vivid early childhood memories is the night of November 9th, 1965. I was living with my family in upstate New York. I was six years old. And at that time of year, it was pitch black by around five o'clock. 
I asked my mom if I could watch Lassie that night. And she said, of course, as long as I put on my pajamas. So I ran upstairs and I was sitting on the floor of my room. And we lived way out in the sticks, so it was pitch black all around us. There were no street lights. We were like, you know, near near like a big giant like state park and in this old Revolutionary War farmhouse. So my room was normally black at night looking out the windows. You could barely see anything. I was sitting on the floor putting on my footy pajamas and all of a sudden my whole room turned yellow. So I stood up with my feet in the pajamas and I was sort of hopping with my legs in the feet trying to pull up the pajamas. I hopped over to the window and every part of our property looked like a yellow negative. It was bright, almost like daylight. I could see our rolling hills yard going down to the pond. Um, I could see the forest tree line behind it. It was all lit up. And then I saw this big, giant craft going by really slowly. I couldn't tell what it was. It looked like a big fireball that was moving in slow motion. And I remember that the flames were sort of lime acid green and bright orange. And it looked like they were coming from something, but I couldn't really make out what it was. Anyway, I... I was so excited. I stood there transfixed, but then I ran down the stairs screaming, Mommy, Mommy, Mommy! I wasn't scared, but I'd never seen anything like that. I mean, the reason I wasn't scared was probably because I was so young. I just thought it was like a really cool-looking thing. My mom was standing at the window in the living room, which also faced our pond, and she had the landline phone in one hand, and her other hand was over her heart. She hung up the phone, and seconds later, all the power in our house went out. The next morning, the New York Times had this on its cover. Apparently, there'd been like a large fireball sighted over Niagara Falls on the Canadian side, which was north of us. And there'd been a lot of reports of either a craft or a fireball. And right after that passed over, it caused the 1965 New York City blackout and blackouts in all the neighboring states, all in New England. And it went all the way down the eastern seaboard as far as Maryland. Apparently, the only way that the New York Times got printed was they drove the galleys of the newspaper out to Ohio or somewhere else where, where the power was on. I hadn't even thought about this again until I was sort of in my late 20s or early 30s, and there wasn't really an internet then. I didn't get to even research this until probably about 10 years ago. That was how I found out the aftermath of it. And when my mom was still alive, I asked her about it, and she said that she thought it was like something like the Cuban Missile Crisis, and apparently that that's what a bunch of other people thought, that New York City or all of New York or the whole East Coast was getting bombed. Then my mother also told me about calling the sheriff that night, which was at the point that I burst in on her in the living room. She called the sheriff. They thought she was drunk because <laughs> she knew they knew she was out in the sticks with two toddlers and that my father went to New York City for work. Hours later, they called up apologizing to her, saying they'd had over 200 reports of exactly the same thing, and hers was the first. So at least they said they were sorry to her. But that was pretty much all she remembered about it. I remember 
what I saw vividly, and it wasn't until, you know, I was in like my 50s that I sort of found out what that thing that I had witnessed actually was. The second time I saw a UFO was in 1999, and it was at Burning Man. If you guys don't know what Burning Man is, although I'm sure everybody does, it's a big giant arts festival out in the desert, way outside of Reno, like the closest town is a a tiny little burg called Gerlach. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people go there, and there's art cars and big giant installations and people running around naked and tripping on acid and all sorts of camps and bands playing. It's an amazing giant festival. So I'm sure you I'm sure you're probably familiar with it. Although I was taking a lot of drugs back then. On the night that I saw this UFO, I was completely sober. Uh I had just landed at the airport in Reno and gotten picked up by my friend Steve Heck who was one of the people that transported giant Tesla coils and other humongous props out to the desert. And so he was always on the crew there. And he had a camp that was far away from the actual Burning Man Festival. It was at least a half a mile away out in the middle of the desert. There was all these techies and people that did transportation stuff staying out in their own camp. So by the time we actually got into the festival, we drove through what was, you know, everyone's tents, like all the attendees' tents, and then we drove way, way, way farther out into the desert in pitch black over the sand to where all the techie people had their camps. I had not even had a drink that night. I was sober because I had just come from a plane. We were sitting around and having food around a campfire, and I had just been poured a drink, I got up and went to the porta potty, which was a little bit away from their camp. And when I got out of it, something told me to look up. I looked up, and normally the desert there is just absolutely black. And from where the tech camp was, you could see Burning Man, like about a half a mile away. You could see the lights of it. But I was looking at the side that went out into the, the desert there, in Black Rock Desert where it was pitch black. I think there was a moon that night, like a full moon or some kind of a, you know, almost full moon, but it was still super dark. When I looked up, I saw this thing that looked like a giant, huge train that had carnival ride accoutrements on it. I can't even estimate how long this thing was or how high up it was because, like I said, it was a dark night sky. This was probably around 1 or 2 a.m. in the morning. I just stood there transfixed, and it was, it was, it seemed to be moving upward, and it was going pretty slow, but all the lights on it were revolving around really fast. And when, when I said it looked like carnival, light accoutrements, it looked like these whizzing, spinning wheels, and they were in all different colors. There seemed to be like a light of, uh, a rack of lights underneath it that were kind of like like red blinking lights, the same way that you would see on a plane, except I don't think planes have red lights. I think that the lights on airplanes are only like green or blue, if I'm not mistaken. So they were, they were going, they were blinking very slowly. And this thing was just, it, it wasn't hovering, but it wasn't moving really fast. It was moving very, very slowly upwards, like 
away from where the Burning Man camp was. And I saw it and I looked at it for maybe 20 seconds. And I yelled to the guys in my camp, you guys, look up. And they're like, at what? And I'm just like, look up, look up. And then I heard them go, oh my God, like in unison. And then immediately after that, you could hear all of Burning Man, like all the people that were at the, you know, at the festival part of the camp, scream in unison. It was like, I just got goosebumps saying that because the whole place just roared and screamed. You could hear it. And then shortly after that, the thing vanished. So I don't, I still have no idea what it was. The next morning, I was in this driving tiki bar that some friends from the tech camp had. It was it was a it was built on a Winnebago chassis, and it was a twin. It, it was it was a, a total tiki bar with like Don Ho playing and a thatched roof, and the the sign from the original Sunny and Cher show on it. And um, I got on there before I even had coffee, and I wound up not getting off it as it drove through all the camps for like six hours. But the talk of the tiki bar, no matter where it stopped, no matter who hopped on or who hopped off, was, did you see that fucking thing? Did you see that UFO last night? And everyone was talking about it. And this guy sat next to me and I said, so did you see the UFO? And he goes, yeah, that was really cool. What camp was it from? And everyone on the whole tiki bar said, that wasn't from a camp. That was from fucking outer space. Again, I tried to do some research on it. There's like almost nothing on the internet. I've looked at at MUFON sites, which is like, I can't remember what that acronym is for, but it's something about UFO reports. I did see one, some one report about it somewhere a few years ago, and it it matched what I just described to you exactly. Some people theorized at Burning Man later that it was probably a satellite falling from the universe. But when I saw it, like I said, it was it was going upwards in a, in a really slow sort of arc, like a very lazy arc going upwards at a really like slow pace. But all the lights on it and stuff, like I said, it lo- it looked like a crazy carnival ride in the middle. I've, ne- I've never seen a contraption like this. I mean, not not in my wildest theme park dreams, not in a science fiction movie. It, it was just, it was miraculous. And I, I still see that so clearly in my head to this day.
Okay, I love the part of Pleasant's story where she's talking about being on that kind of rolling tiki bar. And the dude's like, oh, well, like, what camp did that come from? No, dude, who was a fucking UFO. <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you so much, Pleasant, for the stories. And also thank you to Ray from Teenage Bottle Rocket for the song uh, song title. Uh, that's an inside joke, by the way, from the days when Ray was in the band Homeless Wonders, and Homeless Wonders were on a comp called Punk. It's all about the Orcus Factor. Uh, I guess you kind of had to be there. The song is actually called Alien Motion Technology, and that song is a cover. The song was originally performed by a band called The Mugwumps. They're from Austria, and that Mugwumps version came out in the year 2007. A little history, a little side note for you. Next in the story department, we have Johnny Cuz from the band Save Vende. Johnny is a frequent contributor to the Bobcast. I've interviewed him and Save Vende a couple of times. Save Vende wrote and performed the I Want to Party with Bob theme song that you heard at the beginning of this episode, and you have been hearing at the beginning of every episode for the last couple months, really. Johnny's great. I love him. Well, Johnny has a story about a UFO sighting in Ohio from a few years ago. Here's Johnny. I didn't know what the fuck I was looking at. So. <laughs> it was in 1997 or 98, one of those years. It was in Cincinnati, Ohio again. It was, in the, it was probably, probably midnight or 1 o'clock in the morning. Me and my friends, we would walk, when we walk uh, to the store, we would walk on the railroad tracks so we didn't get, like, curfew violations. So we'd cross the street from my house, go down the hill, and then walk along this, like, old dirt road. And on the left, there's woods, and on the right, there's railroad tracks, and then the river, the Ohio River. So we're walking, and then just, like, right above me, I look up, and I see, like just white lights up in the sky. It wasn't really high either. It was pretty low. I'm trying to think about how low it was, but it was low. Above the tree line kind of thing? Yeah, so the neighborhood I was in is called Sedansville, uh, down in the valley. And the direction it was going was towards Price Hill, uh, Mount Echo Park. And when it got up there, it was above the tree line. And that's like, you could see like up a hill, you know, yeah, and yeah. all the trees that way. So I'm down you know, with the river level and up on a hill. When I got up there, it was a tree line. Oh, okay, gotcha. When we were walking, I saw it, and it was like a triangle. And um, the lights were white. I didn't see any other color lights, no blinking lights or nothing. And I started grabbing my friends, like, oh my God, look at that, look at that, look at that. And it was weird. They were like, what? You know? <laughs> they looked at it like, so what? I was like, what? The? It was really weird. Like, no one even cared. They didn't even bat an eye. Like, what? Yes, okay, so it's a triangle in the sky, whatever. Yeah, because where, where I'm at, the Cincinnati airport is actually across the river in uh, Covington, Kentucky. So all the airplanes, they go, there. No, none of the air, air jets or anything fly through my neighborhood. So that's why I was like freaking out because the direction it was going was going, it was going north, like northeast through uh, Price Hill, which I've never seen a plane go that way Interesting. <laughs> ever yeah. that's why i was like that is not a plane what the hell is that it's triangle and how was it moving was it moving or was it just kind of still no it was moving 
It was moving slow. It was moving slow. It was like it was like uh, climbing, you know. Did you see it kind of the whole time you were walking, or did it eventually kind of go away, or what? Not the whole time I was walk- walking. I just saw it do its course, you know, just fly over me, real slow. And I was like, "Well, dude," and I told everybody, and I just watched it go all the way because I stopped. I'm like, "Fuck y'all!" I'm watching it. Yeah, it didn't move crazy or nothing like that. It just went straight and climbed up over the hills. Wow. It was slow. I didn't hear anything. Triangle, and it was with white lights. Thank you, Johnny, for your story. That story took place in Ohio, okay? The fact that there are UFO sightings in Ohio is going to come up later in this episode. Coming up next is the story of an encounter with Travis, who is the bass player of the band Sad Girls Club, also the holder of the title Best Hair in the band Sad Girls Club. Travis has a story about an encounter he had with some other people while driving one night near Sacramento, California. Here's Travis. So I, I hate the word skeptic because like, I, I guess I would consider myself one as much as like, I, I want to believe, um, sure. but, um, and I, I'm the same way with like paranormal and stuff like that. Like I, I, I want to have an experience. I want to believe, but like, just because of, you know, my own atheistic viewpoint, I don't believe in an afterlife. So I'm like, ghosts shouldn't exist in that aspect for me. Right. So I'm just like, I, I want I want to be proven wrong. As far as aliens go, I don't know if I believe that there's intelligent life out there. Um, I don't know if I've had enough evidence shown to me, enough hard evidence to point to that necessarily. I do believe there's life out there, not necessarily intelligent life, and I don't necessarily think that we've ever been visited by aliens here on Earth, like aliens you know, visitors like an intelligent life form from another galaxy or something like that. Um, I feel like, I feel like, uh, we, we as earthlings would probably like, I feel like there'd be some shit that probably would happen in our atmosphere that like everyone would would be able to measure and know about instead of there being, you know, hearsay on fightings necessarily. So that's just my own personal viewpoint and everything. But like I said, I want to be proven wrong. I fucking love the idea (laughs) of like intelligent life coming to visit us. That sounds so cool. Like, Earth is fucking ghetto, though. It is ratchet as fuck. I don't think that... Like, why would they even want to come here? That's where Star Trek loses the mark. Because the Romulans came down, and they showed us how to build a warp drive. And the first thing I would think is, they're going to fly oh, by the, the planet. Vulcan. They're going to... Oh, Vulcan. it's the Vulcans. Oh, I'm sorry, the Vulcans. Yep, you're right, you're right, you're right. Oh, I'm dealing with a Trekkie. Okay, good. No, they probably cru- cruised by the planet and rolled up the window. Oh, yeah, let's speed up. We need to get past this place real quick. Lock them, lock the doors. Lock all lock the, the doors. doors. <laughs> don't look at anybody, honey. Yeah, don't Just look at anybody. In the, not in the eye. Not in the eye. Just keep going. Okay. Uh, but, yeah, Um. so uh, when this, you know, this sighting happened for me, um, I, I, I love the word UFO because it's like the unidentified flying object. Like, it's very, it's a very broad term. I like that. So it was January 2011. I remember really distinctly because I was driving home from a musical that I was performing it at the time. Um, it was back when I was living in the El Grove, uh, Sacramento area. I was driving um, east down Calvine Road. I had a friend in the car. I think my dad might have been in the car as well. And I, I remember like looking out the window and I looked south and I saw like five or six lights in the sky. There was one that was fixated in the middle and then there was another like, you know, four or five, like kind of circling around it in a pattern. Hmm. And in the pattern that it was flying in, uh, the lights were moving in. It was uh, like a triangular pattern, not too different 
from like those scrambler carnival rides if you know what I'm talking about. Like, you know, the ones you like sit in and like, you know, move around, like, cause it has like the big spinning thing and then it has like all the other ones on spinning things. So it just feels like it's kind of like getting boxed, like in different ways or whatever. So uh, they were kind of moving in that pattern. And, you know, I was staring at it for a good, I don't know, I want to say like 15, 30 seconds or something like that. And my friend was in the car, she saw it as well. And we were both like, whoa, what the fuck? And then after, you know, about that 15 to 30 seconds, the light, they all split off in different directions, kind of. They all separated, and then they all just zoomed out in the distance further south towards um, Stockton. I like it, seemed like it could have been multiple vessels if it was a vessel, as opposed to like one giant moving thing. I don't necessarily know if it was aliens or not. It was totally unexplainable. I like it could have been military craft for all I know, right? Um, but it was that's probably the most unexplainable explained, you know, sort of sighting of anything of the sort that I can say that I've had. Being able to like see it firsthand and then have another person see it with me just to be like, oh, look, I'm not, I'm not making this up. This is wild. Thank you, Travis, for your story. I will say this, the only strange thing I've ever seen in Sacramento is what came out of my ass after I ate at a restaurant called Pancake Circus. Uh, Yeah, don't eat at Pancake Circus in Sacramento. You will get food poisoning. (laughs) Next up, talking about unidentified flying objects and not the kind that come out of your butt is Josh Goldman, who is from Rad Girlfriend Records and is also in the band The Raging Nathans. Josh has a couple stories for us two of which take place in, uh, like I said earlier, Ohio. Yes, very interesting. A little bit of a pattern here we're having, isn't it? Here's Josh with his stories to be followed immediately by the band Creepazoid and their version of Teenagers from Mars. I was like 13. I was I was at the beach in New York, and it was like nighttime. And I, I kind of like forget this one because it... it you know, it was so long ago and like, you know, you don't really know what you're seeing sometimes. Yeah. But this light in the sky and it was like real dark is a light in the sky and it just stayed there for a long time. And then it just shot up real fast. And then it blinked like three different colors. It blinked like yellow, white, and then red. And then just like disappeared. And so that was like when I was a kid, a couple of years ago, Brandy and I, we were driving. Oh, we were driving home from New Orleans, and we were almost home. We were like in Lexington, and we were in on Man of War Boulevard, which is like a big street, kind of like that you get off the highway when you go there. You were in Kentucky. Yeah, Lexington, Kentucky. So there was like three balls or like three rings, and they just like they came together, and then they separated, and then they came together again, and they and it's like it was one of those things where like. You knew, like, we looked at each other and we were like, no matter what anybody ever says, we just saw it. And we, and we knew it immediately. We were like, you know, and for some, but for some reason, like, remembering what the actual balls look like is, like, fuzzy in my memory. Oh, weird. The one that's the most clear is mo- more recent. It was, so it happened, like, maybe a year and a half ago or two years ago or something like that. And we were going to our kids. She was having like a, yeah, it was a school play or the musical or some shit. It was at her school. 
we were walking into the auditorium where she where she was performing, and again, like we looked over, and we were right about to walk in the door, and we just stopped there. And in the sky, there was there was like two or three fucking like orange balls of light, dude, and they were just going, they were just doing all sorts of crazy shit, just like just zigzagging in the sky and like going in all sorts of like circles in different directions. And then they, then they did the same thing. Like they came together and it was like just one ball of light. And then like another one broke off from it and it was just doing that. And it started high in the sky and then they kind of lowered doing all this like acrobatic, you know, shit in the sky. And then eventually it just like, it just kind of dipped below the, like the, the skyline or like wherever, you know, the, like the horizon or whatever to where you yeah the, yeah the, hor- the horizon yeah it, it's one of those things that it's hard to con it's hard to convey to other people and I kind of think that like that's why maybe a lot of UFO sightings are hard to believe or hard or like for like the mainstream people to believe or like hard to convey because it's just so fucking weird that like and it, and it only lasts for a second like you know it, it you you live your entire you have an entire life. And then you you manage to catch this crazy wild shit that happens in like you know that takes like ten seconds or a thirty seconds or a minute or something you know right and and so like I just remember being like those two times in particular we really saw that that really happened and I don't know what the fuck it was but it really happened and we really saw it and I'll never forget it and then you know to add that. Like in Dayton, Ohio, you know, you have Wright Patterson Air Force Base, yeah, which is, you know, famous for when they said, you know, they took the aliens from Roswell and the crash, to, they took it to Wright Pat. So Hangar 18 is at Wright Patterson Air Force Base. So there's like this long history, the, the the Blue Book files or whatever. I'm not really sure exactly like what the book is. Is it's just like a compiled list of reports. Of, you know, of like from the Air Force of any time there was a UFO sighting, like they made people fill out this this report, and it's crazy because like you know I re- you're reading through the whole thing, so it doesn't read like a book. It's more of like a, you know this collection of like of things. It says each city that that the report is made in. Yeah, and dude, hands down, counting Dayton, Ohio, and the surrounding suburbs is mentioned in that book a lot, <laughs> like wow. way more than it seems like other people. So there's like the kind of weird history of UFOs and stuff in Dayton. And I don't know the balls of light thing. If you look on YouTube, when you look on, like when you look up people's like experiences and the ones that they've caught on film, the really like miraculous ones, they're not always like spaceships. You know, a lot of them are these, are these balls of light, man. And, and that's what I've seen. It's like coming together and fucking, coming apart is it's like replicating or something it's right and not doesn't sound like a natural phenomenon like someone would say oh well that could have been ball lightning or it could have been swamp gas or it could have been whatever you know million excuses they make for things like that it sounds like a you know maybe it wasn't a spaceship but those things were definitely moving with some kind of purpose at the same time right not just a random effect you know it seems very deliberate what it was doing i mean i there's no, like, people, yeah, they can say with swamp gas. Like, there's no fucking swamp where I live, you know what I mean? Right. River gas? I don't know, right? I'm not gullible. I, I, it's just, 
I know what I fucking saw, you know? And, sure. and, and that's why people, you know, people don't take it seriously because it's hard to explain and you don't know what it is. Thank you, Josh, for your stories and Creepazoid for the song. You can check out an amazing selection of music from Rad Girlfriend Records by visiting www.radgirlfriendrecords.bandcamp.com. The Ohio Connection. Very interesting, right? Some very strange UFO stuff goes down in Ohio. Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. That was home to Project Blue Book. 
And by 1969, Blue Book had collected 12,618 UFO sightings from all over the country. 701 of those sightings are still listed as unexplained. So, yeah, some weird shit going on. It does make you think, doesn't it? It really does. You know, I do have to say this. I would really, really love to know what's been going on since the 1940s with UFOs in the United States, specifically the United States. I think they know a lot more than they're telling us. And, right, we're supposed to get this big information dump sometime around the beginning of June of 2021 this year. And, you know... Word on the street is there's going to be some crazy stuff in there, but word on the street also is there may not be that much. The government does have a way of kind of shifting things and wording things around and redacting things to where we may not learn really much of anything. The beginning of June is coming up real quick. It's mid-May right now, so we'll see what happens. Very interesting. The final segment of this episode, our guest is Spencer Dorsey. From Discount Cemetery. Now, Spencer doesn't have any personal UFO encounters to talk to us about. Rather, he has a little bit of a history lesson on UFOs and alien activity, that kind of thing. Plus, some information on some of the more well-known UFO sightings, like Roswell. Think Roswell. Well, here is Spencer with more. I'll start everything with this simple but true statement. The Department of Defense has admitted to the general public that that UFOs are very much and, in fact, real. Yes. So growing up, the conversation of are UFOs real or aliens real, it, it was so much different than it is now because plenty of people would tell you you were crazy or you were just out of, out of your mind. I think that that's shifted now. A lot of the general public are in agreement that, yeah, UFOs are real, aliens are real. So that's exciting to see that shift, you know, and I think that what happened about a year ago with the Department of Defense releasing, I believe it's three videos of unexplained aerial phenomenon captured by uh, naval aviators and different type of genres. I think that's amazing. That's something that is really exciting for a lot of UFO uh, fans or or you know followers of this topic. So, just to start from the beginning or start from the current moment and go back. In other words, you know. Sure. So we're kind of starting from the end and going backwards. But I think that's incredible. If you haven't seen the videos, I can't encourage enough to just Google them. Um, they'll come right up. There's three different short videos the Department of Defense and Pentagon released, and it's incredible to see them and know that the government is saying we. We genuinely don't know what these are. And the way they're flying, it's really hard to imagine that any current government could, could create this without some type of extraordinary influence, you know? Right, um, yeah. so, so check those videos out. They're insane to see the way these crafts fly around and just hear the excitement and shock and disbelief of these pilots as they as they watch this happen it's it's really amazing so that's one piece of recommended um viewing for our listeners out there is to start there and what's crazy is as far back as you go in history there's evidence of aliens and ufos all over the place when you go back to ancient romans 
there were thousands of observers that during a time of war observed a molten silver object from the sky and and fall crashing down to earth and that's a mass sighting uh, back in the Roman times and then as you go through these civilizations it's crazy to see cave drawings of UFOs and and different um, you know things of that nature documenting unknown crafts in the sky and uh, furthermore even in the Bible there's a lot of chapters or verses in the Bible that could easily be interpreted as, you know, chariots of flame in the sky, you know, coming down with beings of light and, and things that if you look at it like unopinionated, I know that that's, this is a sticky subject because of religion and stuff, but sure. that could easily be taken as aliens and UFOs, no doubt about it. And plenty of people would have to agree, hey, that's kind of interesting that even in the Bible there's passages that kind of hint at alien and UFO existence. It is very interesting, yeah. Even though, even if you don't necessarily take what the Bible says as something that's true or in any way, but it's very interesting to say, whoa, they're potentially talking about aliens and UFOs and shit. And Yeah, and I think that something that comes up a lot is how did these ancient civilizations have such an accelerated level of intelligence? You know, that's a topic that comes up a lot with the Mayans, with Sumerians, and they found uh, something that looks like a battery that would, you know, a really, really uh, basic battery. I believe in, like, ancient Sumeria. Some people say it's for holding a scroll. And anytime these things come up, there's going to be believers in A and B, you know, and some people think it's not a battery. And Plenty of other folks say, yeah, no, it's a battery. It had lemon juice and this metal uh, core, and it looked like a, like, a, like a jar. But a lot of people say, hey, technically this could be the first battery ever made. But if that's the case, it doesn't make any sense, really, that one of the first civilizations ever knew how to do this. Like, that's just bizarre, you know? Right, um, sure. And, and all these things come up in a book that's really great that I would recommend checking out called Chariots of the Gods. I read that book as a teenager, and I think now it's like a show as well. Like they made a show based of it. I haven't seen it, but I imagine it might be pretty good. But I I think that that's a great book to pick up if you're interested in the history going way back, you know, to these times connected to UFOs. That's a great resource. And it was a New York Times bestseller for a long time. And it's a great book in the sense that it's all factual. You know, it's mm. really not telling opinion. It's just telling you, here are the facts of things that don't quite make sense about the, our, our ancient history related to UFOs. The keynote to, to, to point out before we move on is that these ancient civilizations had such an accelerated awareness of astronomy without mm, yeah. modern technology. So a lot of people want to have the conversation of how did they understand astronomy this well and how do they hit it on the head perfectly in so many regards without instruments of modern day you know it's really really interesting so i guess we'll fast forward a little bit here to the 1940s and what what has started happening here is we saw a, a huge influx of ufo sightings around bomb sites like a bomb testing sites and nuclear uh, testing sites uh, around those areas, we would see a huge, huge rise 
in UFO uh, sightings and encounters hmm. by the hundreds and thousands. And there's a lot of thought, and I, and I mean, I, I can say what my opinion is, but I, I guess I want to maybe just say facts and let people formulate their own opinions. But it is undeniably true that there was a huge rise and really the birth of UFO sightings as we know them around this time frame. And some some people say that it's due to the fact that these explosions would be visible from space. So if UFOs existed and aliens existed, they would see these blasts on the Earth's surface from really far away. So these bomb testings would act as beacons into the, the sky and be of interest to alien life and bring them down to scope out what's going on and check it out. Interesting theory, and it, it does make sense, but here in the 1940s, we have hundreds, if not thousands, of UFO sightings and encounters, so much so that Truman, President Truman, you know, assembles the Majestic 12, which is a group that he put together to basically investigate and potentially debunk all these UFO sightings. And, uh, there's some back and forth around the legitimacy of that, but Truman definitely did organize this group, and exactly what they did is somewhat debatable, but it's undeniable that he put together a group of um, FBI agents to go out and basically investigate and debunk uh, UFO sightings, which is pretty incredible, you know? And that's even prior to, like, Project Blue Book and all that stuff where it starts to get really kind of crazy at that point. I mean, it's crazy then, too, but... Yeah, exactly. And then we have at that time, you know, the big granddaddy of them all. We have Roswell in 1947. That became such a big part of the the lore and just the culture, you know, pop culture. And, and it became a globally known phrase and, and moment in time. You know, here's a good moment to pause and say this is a fun one to, to talk about is Roswell. You know, was it a weather balloon? Was it a UFO? And I right. love hearing what people think. You know, on that. What do you think? Do you th- what do you think crashed in Roswell, Bob? I think it was a UFO. I think based on what I've read and seen and heard and all that, I think it was UFO for sure. So, yeah. There's a lot of funny things about Roswell, and the FBI showed up and kind of pushed the police out of it, of course. And it's it's worth ch- checking out. And there's a lot of really good like content on Roswell that's like bite sized and digestible when you look into it. You know, it's a it's a great starting point for kids is Roswell because you have everything there. You know, it's a sure. fun one. There's a lot of lore all around it, lore and history, and yeah, a lot of people have talked about it and covered it. So there's yeah plenty there to get into. At this point, I'll transition into some like lesser known but really interesting UFO encounters and sightings. There's one in particular called the Lubach Lights in 1951, and there were three professors in Texas Tech area that were hanging out outside. They looked up and saw a semicircle of lights flying above them at high speed, and then over the next like week or so, dozens and dozens of reports flooded in all around town of uh, people seeing the same thing and taking multiple different uh, photographs of these Lu- mm. Lubick lights, Lubak lights rather, and some of which were published in Life magazine. Now, if you look this up, it's Lubak, Lubak lights, L-U-B-B-O-C-K. Um, the pictures are incredible and eventually the government debunked this to be birds flying in formation with light hitting hitting off reflecting off of the birds all the explanations are so 
unbelievable. Like, they're more unbelievable than it being a UFO. Like, really, dude? It's birds with light? It's it's birds lit up? That doesn't check out. No, were the birds no wearing fucking reflective suits or right. something? Like, come right. on. I've heard There's every excuse in the starlings, book. right? I mean, come on. My yeah. God. <laughs> so you'll you'll see that come up a lot. Are these explanations that just don't check out? Like, and everybody in town agreed these are not birds, man. These weren't birds. We didn't see birds, and you can see the photos for yourself. They 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 don't look like birds to me. So yeah, moving on to 1957, a few years later, and uh, Leveland, t- uh, Texas, I believe. Yep, Leveland, Texas. This inspired the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind. In 1957, dozens of citizens in, in this uh, town in Texas reported seeing a, a rocket or, or several lights in the sky, you know, pretty typical. But what's really crazy is that all of their engines died out, lights turned off, like total Twilight Zone moment where all the electronics in the town stopped working, which is incredible. Hmm. Later on, it was described to be a lightning storm or electrical storm that cut everything out. But what's weird is that there's no data to back that up from weather satellites and things. So it was explained to be this really unique phenomenon of like an electrical storm. But what's weird is that there was no data to prove that. So a lot of the citizens in Texas were in disbelief of this, you know, like, no, that doesn't make any sense. But I just love the idea of being in your car and losing all electrical power. I can relate to that because it's happened to me in my van like several times. Maybe that's why this one hits so close to home, you know? <laughs> Maybe, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that's a cool one. And you could see how the, you could see how these incidences shape pop culture. Like that's a direct influence to Close Encounters of the Third Kind, you know? Right, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, when we get to the 90s, that's when I start to have recole- recollection of UFOs because I'm around. I think that I remember seeing the movie Fire in the Sky. Have you seen that, Bob? I haven't seen Fire in the Sky, no. Okay, that's recommended to, to you, Bob, and to our listeners. It is a horrifying movie, and it depicts the, the true story of Travis Walton, a construction worker or logger, I would say, uh, who was out in the woods with a crew of, of co-workers and they were, you know, in a small town and, and it was a quiet, normal night and they had seen something illuminate the sky. They went to go investigate it and tra- and Travis was sucked into a light in the sky. And this was observed by his coworkers. Uh, they saw a beam of light come down and literally take him up into the sky. The classic UFO sighting that we know of today. This is like what uh, allegedly went down at that time, right? In 75. Yeah. So I am going back in time a little bit, but in 75, this went down. These, I think it was three or four guys that had claimed this, took lie detector tests. They all passed. Travis Walton was missing for several days, I think like five days to a week, if not more. These guys were the ones holding the bag. Like it was thought that these guys murdered him or, you know, were responsible for him missing because they were the last ones to see him. And their story they came back home with was unbelievable you know and right so they took lie detector tests they all checked out travis walton did uh, appear days later mortified covered in like this weird like slime almost uh, and and really horrified and making these claims that he was abducted and recalling really scary stories of like being experimented on and to this day he stands by that to be the case. He's written books. He's gone on, you know, he's done interviews and 
there's there's a lot of people that really take take him seriously and believe his story you know mm, sure okay so that's a uh, fire in the sky i think that's cool now the last one of this era is the phoenix lights yeah, and this yeah, was that's a good not- one yeah are you familiar with this i am i have friends that have seen it actually too yeah yeah it's a cra- it's a wild story what do you think about it and what do your friends say i had friends that were on tour driving through arizona and didn't it go on for like two or three nights or something like that? Wasn't it like over a few days or something? I rec- it was long. And and uh, potentially, yes, it could have been the case. I know they were up there for a long time, all night, at least for one night, if not longer, yeah. Gotcha. Okay, because they were, they were driving through Arizona, and they said, holy shit, like they're not meteors, but just like hundreds of lights in the sky like flashing flying around like like the craziest thing they'd ever seen to to the point where they were like are we all okay like did we get fucking drugged or something at the last show we were at or like what is going on and that's kind of all i know about it that's the only thing i ever heard when i heard about it it was back in the 90s like when this band came home they kind of told us about it and we're like yeah 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 you guys were like fucked up or something right but then I heard about it in the news or somewhere years later and I go, oh shit, like they're not alone. Like there was more, there might've been something to this story, right? A hundred percent. It's to this day, I believe it's known as the largest UFO mass sighting in history because all of Phoenix could see it, you know, from wherever yeah. they were stationed in, in town. And what's so interesting about this is that they appeared in like a V-shaped form, which is a, a pattern in which these lights appear th- throughout sightings in time. And right. this is this is really cool, Bob. Just as fate would have it, two days ago in Albuquerque, there was the same V-shaped uh, pattern of lights two days ago in Albuquerque, New Mexico, in Albuquerque. And it's if you Google this right now, Albuquerque UFO sighting, to our listeners out there, if you Google this, it'll come right up. I mean, it, it's been pretty well documented. And what's so cool is that there's multiple camera shots of this sighting in the sky. And in oh, wow. 2021, everybody has a phone in their pocket or a camera in their pocket. So I think that we're going to start seeing this happen where there's multiple angles of something. And we can really dissect that at home and like have this instant evidence of these sightings because back in the day it was word of mouth passing it along and it makes it harder to digest but in 2021 with te- with technology it's so sick that like people just record it like when, so google that and you're going to see different you know camera angles in albuquerque of a similar shape but yeah bob this thing appeared and it stayed there for a while and it, and it looked unreal. There is some video of it back, back from 97. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of people in that area to this day, basically everybody. I mean, nobody will deny like that that was strange and they don't know what it was. Not to mention, they didn't even bother to really debunk this one at all. They just kind of let it fade away. And I think that that's crazy because a lot of people who saw it still want some type of answer that's legitimate but they never really got an answer that was uh believe at all really and then i think it was the mayor governor went on the news with like a alien in a costume poking fun of it and it was like a little bit of a laugh 
Yeah, and I mean it's cool. Like I mean that's cool. I'm I'm all for it, but it's <laughs> right. inter- it's interesting that like a lot of times they don't even bother to explain it. They just let it kind of like run out of steam on its own. And you know what? Um, the last big thing I've got is just I wanted to mention Bob Lazar, and I think that for a lot of us, myself included, he's the crown jewel of this topic. He's the best evidence we have uh, uh, regarding aliens and UFOs and. His story is so interesting and exciting and um, undeniable. So the facts about Bob Lazar, before I get into him, are you familiar with Bob Lazar, Bob? No, I'm not. No. Okay, so this is a great finale uh, as far as the you know uh, intended stuff I wanted to, to chat with you about. Bob sure. Lazar is a California native, and he is a scientist and a physicist. Uh, and he's a really, really brilliant man. And growing up, he right out of the gate was just a genius level scientist and he first became publicly known for taking a jet engine and putting it in his Honda in I think the 80s and he drove it to work it was a jet powered Honda that could go 200 miles an hour oh my God. yeah wow. and he built he wow. built like a rocket bike and things of that nature so he was in the news for this and it got the attention of like JPL and the the governments that be and they hired him to be a on-site scientist and physicist at S4 base in Area 51. So Bob Lazar was hired, and he, this is factual, Bob Lazar absolutely worked at S4 base. There's so much evidence to, to support this uh, to be the case. He has provided pay stubs uh, from them. He's explained things that you would only know if you were there in great depth. And what's interesting about Bob Lazar is he's really not gained much financially from coming public and sharing his uh, knowledge on UFOs. And he doesn't have a lot of motivation to make this type of thing up. There's no motive. And and in fact, sure. because he came forward and I believe it was like the 80s with this information, along with George Knapp, and he was widely criticized and, and then his house was raided because he had came forward with his story about working on S4 base but before I get ahead of myself to kind of go back to him getting hired he was hired to to de-engineer these alien crafts that were on the S4 base so they put him in front of one specific craft and said figure out how this works each scientist had their own craft that they would specialize in and he had one that he stuck to and he de-engineered it and he has drawings of what this looked like. He speaks to what it was. He speaks to it really clearly and concisely. But what he s- states is that to, it, it basically bent gravity. And it, and it used powerful magnets to, to bend gravity. And, and, and ah. these crafts fly sporadically at low levels. When we see them on the ground... It's because they're designed to fly vertically through space really quickly at like faster than the speed of light, you know, and everything. But but they go horizontally yeah. when they're kind of like idling at a lower speed. That's when they go horizontal. And that's why we see UFOs sh- like kind of, you know, ping pong around like like as, as, as if it's like a pinball. You know, that's why they look sporadic because they're designed to fly the other way, if that makes sense. But Bob Lazar said that the fuel for this thing was something called Element 112, I want to believe that it was called, Element 112. And he 
got in trouble because he told a few friends that he was working on this base and that they were basically flying and testing these crafts. And he brought a few friends to the site of Area 51, right to the fence, and had a few beers from the trunk and kind of tailgated and would showed them and um, even recorded one on a VHS tape. And that video is out there. It's kind of hard to get, but it's out there. And they oh, wow. figured out that he was doing this, and he was let go. He was fired for doing this, basically. Wow. But, <laughs> but he, had, um, he had said that he had this Element 112. Like, allegedly, he had a, a piece of it, and the FBI raided his home to find it. Allegedly. But there's a lot of, like, shade thrown on his name about things that aren't even true because they're trying to, you know, decredit his, um, you know, credibility, I really just, out of all the recommendations we've kind of hit on, my big thing is is Bob Lazar. He's so interesting and well-spoken, and he has no motive to make this stuff up. And he's basically stating that UFOs are real. He's worked on them. Here's how they fly. Here's what he knows, you know, from his perspective. Bob Lazar, he has a book called Dreamland, and there's a documentary that's a little bit weird. It starts off kind of lame, to be honest, but it gets really good after about 15 minutes. So stick with it. But it's called Bob Lazar, Area 51, and Flying Saucers. And I believe that's streaming on like Prime, and even it was on Netflix for a while. As I wrap it up, I know I mentioned Chariots of the Gods. I also would recommend Alien Agenda by Jim Mars is like the best entryway book into ufos and aliens as well as communion by whitley um, schreiber i believe those are like the heavy hitter books that i would say to to check out and and again bob lazar man he's so interesting and i really hope that anybody out there will check him out and and just keep an open mind because you're going to see some things that that are there's some things out there about him that just simply aren't true because people are trying to um discredit him but uh just keep an open mind and check out bob lazar he's amazing thank you so very much spencer for your contribution to this episode this ufo stories episode of the bobcast i think it's a perfect way to wrap things up a little bit of information a little bit of history some stories that kind of thing it's really rad i think ufo history and lore Those are both things that Spencer and I are very, very interested in. It's awesome. Check out Discount Cemetery's line of UFO horror and paranormal-related stuff, clothing specifically, at www.discountcemetery.com. I will remind you one more time, use code PARTYWITHBOB at checkout. You'll get 20% off of your total order. You'll look great, you'll feel great, and you will save money. You won't find a deal that good. Other than, you know, maybe as some planet in the Alpha Centauri cluster. Is that what it... I don't know. even know if that's what Alpha Centauri is. Yeah, I don't know. Well, anyway, that's going to do it for this episode of the Bobcast. Thanks so much to all the contributors. Jan, Pleasant, Johnny, Travis, Josh, and Spencer. Thanks, of course, to Discount Cemetery for sponsoring this episode of the Bobcast. And I got to say, I am wearing an article of clothing from Discount Cemetery. As I say these words, it's the Phoenix Lights long sleeve t-shirt. And I think you could probably tell in my voice kind of the level of confidence that I have, the, the strength in my voice just from wearing this Discount Cemetery long sleeve tee. Yeah, Discount Cemetery brings a lot to the table. Confidence is one of those things. I can attest to that personally. There you go. So, 
Thanks so much to Teenage Bottle Rocket and Creepzoid for the songs. Links to the bands will be on this episode's page of www.iwantapartywithbob.com. As always, thank you so much for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the Bobcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Please consider joining my Patreon for some really rad stuff. And that Patreon page is www.patreon.com slash I Want to Party with Bob. Thanks so much for listening to the I Want to Party with Bob Bobcast. Thank you.